Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're probably all familiar with Ebenezer Scrooge, right? It's not Christmas time. But we know the literary character from uh, Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. Um, You know, the the story of The Christmas Carol really kind of tries to focus on the fact that he is uh, a miser, he's trying to uh, be greedy, and he has no care at all for Christmas. He has no care at all for um, charity. But there's kind of an underlying theme as well. If you look at uh, many of the, the scenes that he visits while he is uh, um, with these ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future, um, you, you kind of pick up on a sense that he's lonely. You know, as he's uh, as a, uh, a child, he's there in, in a school, um, and he, he expects to have to stay there over the Christmas break uh, until someone comes up and says, Father is wanted you to come. And, and so you, you get the idea that he's a, a lonely child. And then as he grows, you, you see some rejoicing as, as he uh, dances at Fezziwigs, right? <laughs> but then his love for money and his greed grow. And the woman that he loved and he wanted to marry breaks it off with him because she sees that he loved money more than he did her. So you see that Ebenezer Scrooge is, a, is a, 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 a sad character. He's lonely. Um, and then as, as an adult in the, in the time there that, that, that the story takes place, he's, his nephew is pretty much his only relative, and he cuts himself off from his nephew. Uh, his nephew tries to wish him Merry Christmas, and what does Scrooge say? Bah humbug, right? <laughs> He cuts himself off from this relationship of someone trying to reach out and befriend him, and he'll have none of it. And he kind of walls himself in and secludes himself into a kind of loneliness. We are not meant to live alone. We are not meant to live in isolation. As as Genesis tells us, as God created woman... He, before he did so, he said, it's not good that man be alone. And, and that's not just because uh, we, we needed marriage and populating the earth, but it's not good for human beings to be alone. We need companionship. We need friendships. We need community. Ecclesiastes, the, the, in, the, in this passage we're looking at, the preacher gets to this point. Um, he looks at a man who works all the time for wealth, but he has no one to share it with, and he finds that it's empty. But then he says, two are better than one, and a three-chord strand is not quickly broken. Let's look at our text. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who 
has no other, either a son or a brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-cord strand, a three, threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, of all whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, Lord, that you have loved us. Lord, that you have placed us in a community. Lord, you have placed us in your body. Lord, that you have given us brothers and sisters that we can bear one another's burdens. Lord, you care for us so much that you gave us a church. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom from your word. And Father, I pray that you would be with me, a sinner, oftentimes foolish myself. I pray that you would give me grace and wisdom as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> he begins with this familiar frame that he it's a drumbeat that keeps going over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Again I saw um sorry. Again I saw vanity under the sun. Everything is vanity, as he said from the very beginning. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, says the preacher. He's looking at life under the sun, apart from God. This is what it's like. It's all empty. It's all meaningless. And he says here, 
Again I saw vanity under the sun. This, this is a thing that is vanity. One person who has no other, either a son or a brother, and yet there's no end to all of his toil. This is a lonely man. He, he is working all the time, working long hours, trying to make more money and more money and more money, but he has no one to share it with, no companion. The text says in verse seven, or in verse eight, one person who has no other. He's alone. No family, no friends. And yet he's working all the time just to get more stuff. And he comes to the end of his rope and he finds out that it's empty. One person who has no other, either son or brother, and yet there is no end to all of his toil. There's no end to it. By, By saying there's no end to it, he's working constantly, all the time, wearing himself out. And his eyes are not satisfied with riches. He's also greedy. The the more he gets, the more he sees, and and he just, everything he sees, he wants. They're never satisfied. It kind of harkens back to chapter 1. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ear is not satisfied with hearing, we saw in chapter 1. Here is a man that's greedy. He wants everything he sees. But he's alone. And then he never asks. This, this is the thing. It never dawns on him. It never dawns on him. At the, at the, still in the same, in verse 8, it says, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? He's working all the time. He's wearing himself out. And he's foolish here because he never asks the question. He never considers, who am I doing all this for? I'm not enjoying life. I'm not doing anything that I enjoy. I'm just working all the time. For what? I don't have anybody to share it with. The preacher says, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. I'm going to skip part of it here because we see here a kind of a, a sandwich in the text. Okay, the first part is talking about this lonely man who's working all the time and has nobody to share it with. Then we're going to see this part in the middle that has a uh, it talks about how the two are better than one. But down on the end, there's another sense of isolation that we get to. Verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Why do I see the isolation here? He was an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. He cut everybody off. He isolated himself. It reminds me, when I read this, um, of Rehoboam, Solomon's own son. When Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took over the kingdom, you know the story. He, he, um, uh, the, the, he was told by the, the younger, uh, by the older leaders, the older wiz, uh, wise people, to, be, to relieve the people's taxes, <laughs> 
to, to give a, a relief to them. And yet the older people, or I'm sorry, the younger leaders told him, no, no, be really hard on them. Get, give them um, more taxes. You know, my father disciplined you with whips and I will discipline you with cor- scorpions is what um, these young men who gave him bad advice said to do. And Rehoboam, he listened to the young men and not the wise older men. And what happened? The kingdom split into two. And for the rest of Israel's history, up until they were taken in captive, you had Israel in the north and Judah in the south because a king rejected the advice of those who were wise, of those who were elder. And here it says, better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. He was king. He had everything that he could ask for. All the riches that he could, and everybody, he could command anything. And yet he didn't listen to advice. It says, uh, better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king he, it says he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He went from prison to the throne. It's not just somebody that was born poor and went to the throne, but went from prison to the throne. I think back, and I think maybe Solomon or the preacher maybe in his own mind, was thinking of Joseph. Joseph, who, who God had uh, allowed his brothers to sell him into slavery and what, what, what they had meant for evil, God meant for good as he was taken from his home and thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery in Egypt and ended up in prison after Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he ran and he had integrity and yet he was thrown into prison and God was faithful and brought him out of that and he became the second only to Pharaoh himself. The text here doesn't tell us any person's name. But as I read the text here, I can't help but just identify these two characters. A person like Joseph, better is a young and wise youth, a a, a poor and wise youth, than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And it says, I saw all the living who who move about under the sun along with along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. Showing the vastness of the king's kingdom. All the living. He was in charge of all that thing. Even that youth. He was in charge of all those things. There was no end of all the people whom he led. This is a massive, massive kingdom. Yet, those who came later will not rejoice in him. In his own day, he was high on the hog. You know, he, he, in his own day, he had everything he could want. He could command anyone. He ruled over so many people, they were countless. And yet, 
He'll be forgotten by history. He's isolated because he wouldn't listen to other people. So we see here this man who works hard all the time, but never really thinking, what am I working for? Who am I working for? I don't have anybody to share this with. And on the other hand, you have this king who is a a massive kingdom, and yet he won't listen to others' advice, and he will eventually just be forgotten. Just be a blip in history. The isolation that those two cases are what we need to avoid. But what comes in the middle of the sandwich, that's, that's the point. We see here, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Not like the man who's working all the time but has nobody to share it with. When you have two, when you have a companion... You have someone to share it with. You have a good reward for your toil. And the next, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. One of the reasons why it's better to have two than one is if one falls. You know, it would be like when they're traveling along the road. And in that ancient time, I read that um, there were pits along the way. And if you're, you're traveling along the road and you fall into a pit, there might not be anybody come along for a long time. You might be stuck there and... You might die just because nobody came along. But if you're traveling with someone, it it decreases the danger. So that as you're traveling along, if you fall in, your friend who you're traveling with can pull you out. And I can't help but think of the first part of what Jane read. It it, it says, if, if anyone among you, I can't remember exactly the words, but if anyone among you falls into a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. What, what we're called to do in the church is be a part of a community. So when someone is struggling, when someone is floundering, those of us who may be strong can reach down and pull that person out of a pit and help them and bear their burdens, as the text told us. The next thing says... And if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now this seems a little bit strange to us. You can kind of imagine it in terms of marriage, but probably in that ancient culture, it's just having two people. Um, in, in that ancient culture, you, know, you didn't carry along a sleeping bag when you were traveling. All you had was your cloak. And on those frigid nights... It would have been normal culturally just to kind of huddle up closer together to keep warm on those cold nights. If you're all in isolation and all by yourself, you'd freeze to death. But if you, if you have a companion, a, a friend that you can lean on, then you can huddle together and keep warm. And then he says... And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. 
So again, you, you may think of, of the man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The, the parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. And along the way, he was robbed yeah, and pillaged. Yes, robbed and pillaged and left half naked and, well, half, half dead and naked. <laughs> it would, you can't flip those around. <laughs> but if there were two, instead of just one man going along the road, maybe those two would not be overpowered by the robbers. That's what the idea is here. And then, It has these three illustrations of two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. When you've got a... um, uh, Sorry. Um, In in the idea of uh, falling into a pit, two are better than one. In the idea of staying warm, two are better than one. In the idea of someone coming and and attacking you and prevailing against you, two are better than one. And then uh, it crescendos. It it comes to a a, a rising point whenever it says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's no magic thing about two. But also three is even better than that. Yeah, (laughs) safety. Safety is in numbers. Uh, as the old saying, as the saying goes. Yeah, it's, and it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're a bee. <laughs> but we get the picture. Even Josh can understand this. It's better to have a community. And, and we can see this carrying over. This is just wisdom. You know, one of the things I, I read in this, in the commentary about this, is it's really hard to preach a sermon that's Christ centered in a passage that doesn't even mention God. If you read through it, it doesn't mention God anywhere in this passage. But we, there are things that we see that when we carry them forward to the New Testament, like the passage that Jane read from, we see these same principles. When someone falls down into a pit, we who are spiritual restore such a one. Don't let someone just go along and and drift away, but go after them. Like the shepherd, the good shepherd, who whenever the one runs away, he leaves the 99 and goes after him and restores such a one. And we bear one uh, one another's burdens. If we're just alone in this world, It's hard. It's, it's hard to, to live without a community of people. But as Christians, we're called to bear one another's burdens. And at the end of, of the passage there that Jane read, it says, um, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for um, in due time we will reap a harvest if we, do, if we do not grow weary, and then it goes on, um, what does it say? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Anyway, it says, let us do good as we have opportunity, and especially to those of the household of faith. The Christian life is not a life to live in isolation. 
The Christian life is not a life to live as a lone ranger disciple, as some have talked about it. We need each other. We need to be a part of a local church. We need to be a part of a body. So many think, well, it's just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus, and I don't need anybody else. Maybe one of the reasons for that, if it's just me and Jesus and I don't need anybody else, then nobody can get into my business and I can just do what I want and nobody can call me on that. We need the church because we need people to hold us accountable. We can go down the wrong path. And if we don't have a community, no one is there. You know, the other saying is, a fish doesn't know that he's wet. Right? And a Christian trying to live just by themselves apart from any community, they don't know that they're wet. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I'm mixing my metaphors. We need community. We were made for community. We were put into a family. What, what was one of the benefits that we receive according to the catechism question that we read? Adoption. We are When we're saved, we're not just forgiven of our sins, but we're adopted. And when we're adopted, we're brought into a family. And 1 Peter tells us that, that uh, we are born, that those who are saved are born again, not just of blood that is, per- of seed that is perishable, but seed that is imperishable by the Word of God. That means that the relationship that we have with one another as believers is an imperishable relationship that is stronger than even the relationship that we have with our own kin. I can imagine hearing a sermon like this as a widow, which we have three of here, and hearing... Two are better than one. And I can imagine that might be painful. That might be sad. You know, Jesus promised to those who give up things to follow Him. He said, whoever loses father or mother or sister or brother, will he not gain that much more in the kingdom? Mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and more. In the church, we may lose all of the relationships that we have by natural blood, but we have a family that we're a part of. That we meet each other's needs, we care for one another, we bear one another's burdens. We can thank Jesus for that. We can thank Him That He saved us into a community. And we can thank Him that we're here at Redeemer Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.